Hey everybody, welcome to Revved Up for Sunday. We are the clergy of St. Mark's Episcopal Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. I'm Peter Walsh. I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. And I'm Justin Crisp. We're so glad you're joining us. For this Sunday, the Collect of the Day, that means the opening prayer that we say together as a community, talks about how we are to approach scriptures, and it says that we are to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. So we are all revved up to inwardly digest, all of which sounds like we need some biblical Pepto-Bismol. So, here we go. Uh, the scripture we have today is Mark 13, 1 to 8. This is the last Sunday of Mark's gospel mm. uh, in this year, so to speak. Uh, we have Jesus as a prophet. We have the, the Mark in Apocalypse, the Little Apocalypse, the Olivet Discourse, the beginnings of all that, the conclusion of the temple teachings, and Jesus' prophecy of the destruction of the temple. You got all that? Here it is. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. If we're supposed to inwardly digest this, I think we're going to end up with indigestion. Mm. I mean, this is like what it looks like after I eat Taco Bell or something like that. You got wars and rumors of wars going on in the gut. Um, I just say... More seriously, uh, Taco Bell aside, although it's a very serious theological issue for me, the th theology of Taco Bell. A lot Bell. to say about Taco Bell, but that's <laughs> going to be a special podcast here, the Taco Bell podcast. That's right. Uh, more seriously, I'm struck by the fact that Jesus, Jesus diverts his disciples' attention away from, uh, first, away from the temple itself, and then away from the event itself that he seems to be foretelling. So, you know, I, I, I see this in my mind's eye as the disciples are out there and they're looking at this incredible structure. I mean, it was an architectural uh, wonder, the second temple, the temple built by the Herodians. Totally incredible. And they're admiring it. And Jesus says, careful that you don't admire this too much because guess what? It's going to go away. And then they respond and they say, okay, so, so when is it going to go away? And he doesn't tell them when. He says, make sure that you're not led astray when it happens. Make sure that, uh, I mean, the way that I interpret this is he's saying, don't put, your, uh, don't put your trust in buildings and don't put your trust in people other than me, myself. It's kind of Jesus clearing away both of those options. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, etc. You're going to be tempted to batten down the hatches. Don't do it. 
That's so well said. That, oh, that's the podcast over? I, mean, I, I, yeah, I was yeah, going to yeah. bring, and I was going to take about 10 more minutes to say it. <laughs> no, it's, it's incredibly, um, that's an incredibly beautiful interp- you know, way of laying out what I, I agree with that interpretation, and you say it so well. Um, and, and there's so many key words in here in this one little pericope. Yeah. Trot that word out again. Um, and I, I, I read that, one one or two, several scholars have said that the impetus for the writing of the gospel might have been the fall of the temple yep. and that they you know this is sort of the key passage of of what Jesus was trying to convey and what the writer of Mark was trying to convey to his community and that you know their whole world had been turned upside down with the loss of the temple um and and that you know they had to kind of come upright again and see straight. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to recenter their attention on Jesus and away from all the chaos of their time, not to mention all the persecution that they were suffering, but just where was their center? You know, the, the temple was everything. So I think that that's a, a great place to start in understanding this gospel, that Jesus was not about predicting the end of the world. Mm. I mean, it was about the end of their world at the time in a way, but not the whole world. And, um, I noticed when you, when you brought us your, your copy, Peter, you highlighted some words here. And it's so funny what we all circle, because I circle mm. different words, but then I realize the ones you circle are really, um, really compelling. I want to go down those rabbit holes. But I circled look and see and um, <laughs> beware, you know, do not be alarmed. These are like real watchwords for Jesus, mm. especially in Mark. Like, mm. um, yeah, that's good. In, in Mark 13, I guess it's one of two, you know, extended sermons that Jesus gives in, in Mark. And the first one's about listen. Mm. And then all everything we've heard in these last several weeks from Mark have been like, listen, here's what's going to happen. You know, mm. can you hear this? And they n- could never hear it. You know, they kept saying, but what about who's first? And can I sit next to you? And you're glorified and everything. They could never hear. Right. And here it turns to look and can you see? Mm. Do you see these big temples? And um, so in Mark 4, Jesus cites um the isaiah passage they have they have eyes but they cannot see they have ears but they cannot hear Mm -hmm. and you know throughout this gospel it's sort of like you know will you have the ears to hear and the eyes to see Mm -hmm. what's happening here and um i thought that was really interesting so i thought i'd point it out well the words that you're circling the words that i'm circling are totally different words uh, (laughs) which i think is 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 really interesting which may change my sermon on Sunday. If I only knew what I was going to say on Sunday, we would, we'll soon find out. Uh, so the words that are really powerful to me, one is, uh, what large stones. Mm-hmm. I love the what large stones, because uh, if you've ever been uh, to the holy city of Jerusalem, you see the remnants of these large stones. So this, the, the, the wall that uh, the, the old city of Jerusalem was built in the Middle Ages, but if you go to the western wall, and then on the left of the western wall, there's this place where the Hasidim uh, studies. And then just left of that, mm-hmm. there's a, you can go down 75 feet and you can be on the ground level where Jesus lived. Jesus' time. So mm-hmm. Jesus' Jerusalem is 75 feet below. And the first time I was down there, I was walking along and I was looking at these stones. And I was like, whoa, these things are, uh, to use a word that I think was created during the last 20 years, ginormous. <laughs> these ginormous stones. And I remember thinking that... The, the foot of the wall looked like these old um, 
Cadillacs that used to have the fins on the back oh, from yeah. the 70s mm. that were crushed and stacked. Mm. And so, uh, I mean, Josephus, speaking of Josephus, mm -hmm. we were talking about when you first came in, uh, talks about the size of these stones, these Herodian stones, each over a million pounds. And, wow. and, and I was thinking, well, how do they move these stones? I mean, yeah. mm -hmm. Herod, who was a terrible man. I mean, Awful. Herod was a terrible man. But... Great builder. Unbelievable builder. One of the greatest builders <laughs> of all time. How he managed to stack these stones is crazy. Mm -hmm. And that and so and then you get into the temple itself. Back to your comment about the temple. These are large stones. The temple itself is 150 feet high. 150 feet high is enormous, particularly given that age, right? There's no cranes. Right. Mm -hmm. And to get your arms around one of the pillars, it would take three big people to hold hands to, mm -hmm. to, to get around one pillar. Wow. And the outside of the temple was was marble with gold on it. And, you know, Josephus, again, Josephus being the uh, Jewish hist historian who wrote uh, about uh, during the, the 60s, and yep. he wrote the, the, about the Jewish wars, so-called Jewish-Roman wars, and uh, he said to come over the top of the Mount of Olives and to see it was to see like a snow-capped mountain. Mm. That this is, this is um, I, I think we have the temple too small in our minds. This was mm. enormous. And in, mm. and in Jesus' day, enormous, enormous. Because, of course, there were no other big buildings, right? These, uh, you know, Nazareth is, was a sleepy little hillside with a bunch of tiny structures on it. This is a, an incredible place in large buildings and great buildings. And then Jesus says, I'll be thrown down. And if you go, uh, and I, I'm, gonna, I'm not great with north, south, east, and west, but on one of the walls of the, uh, in uh, Jerusalem, you can see where they threw the rocks over when they destroyed mm -hmm. Jerusalem. And they are, they are literally piled. And there's mm -hmm. this pile of rocks. And, and some of it dates back to the, the crushing of the temple. So I, for me, the, the histor, you know, historicity of the great buildings, the large stones, yeah. uh, and the throwing downness is, is really alive to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I really, mm -hmm. you know, so I had, you know, a lot of different words right. and look and see. It's just as hard to imagine how they destroyed it as to how they built it. Well, a lot of, a lot of works about the Romans. <laughs> I mean, these, these Roman guys, I mean, they were on yeah. their game. And the, the number two guy in this was Titus right. in the destruction, and he ends up becoming emperor. Uh, and how they how they you know they broke it down and did they put oxen and you know wrap it and pull stone by stone and how they moved these stones mm -hmm. incredible mm -hmm. yeah I mean I'm I'm I find the historical context to be incredibly powerful because it brings out the contrast between Jesus and um, other messianic figures other ways of thinking about who the son of David son of man character is going to be and we've we've spoken in the last couple of weeks of our podcast about how in mark's uh gospel jesus is constantly uh t twisting skewing the disciples expectations about who this messiah is going to be and uh i you know jesus we call jesus a revolutionary but i actually think that that's a rather odd title to ascribe to him he was a revolutionary of a kind but he was not a revolutionary of the kind that many among the Jewish people wanted, right? That's so true. you've got, That's true. Uh, depending on which historians you're reading, you have three Jewish-Roman wars between the years 66 and uh, around 135. So this is, uh, to give you some reference uh, to, um, you know, Jesus dies around 33, 34, something like, well, no, that. I would have died sometime in the 30s. He died at the age of 33, not in the year 33, sorry about that. So sometime in the 30s. Uh, this is sometime after he's been dead, but it's not that long, right? It's within the generation mm -hmm. of the people right. who were following him and who were meeting him, etc. And 
I, you know, I'm, I'm recalling that in the third of those Jewish-Roman wars, basically the Jewish-Roman war to end all Jewish-Roman wars, uh, after this point, the Jews are like permanently in diaspora. Uh, True. You know, True. Uh, it was led by a man named Bar Kokhba. And the rabbis of Bar Kokhba's day were actually saying, yeah, this guy is the Messiah. He's a messianic figure. And he's a messianic figure much more like the kind of militaristic son of David who's going to come back to forcefully and uh, strategically restore the fortunes of Israel that the disciples seem to have wanted Jesus to be earlier in Mark's gospel. And Jesus comes back by saying things like, well, you know, the last are going to be first and the first are going to be last. And anybody who wants to lead has to be the servant of all and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, so it, so when he says, don't let anyone lead you astray, I don't necessarily know if he's like literally saying, don't follow that Bar Kokhba dude. I think he's actually speaking mm. a word to all of us, mm. not to put, not to put too much emotional, political, moral, spiritual stock in the ability of human beings by way of I would say either wars or diplomacy to bring about a perfect world. It's just not wow. going to happen. Wow. I'm struck by the fact that, you know, many will come in my name and say, I am he. And the fact that I am is a, um, is a in the Hebrew Bible is, is a saying, which is ascribed preeminently to God. I am who I am, et cetera. It's one mm-hmm. of the things that God says to describe God's self. Mm-hmm. And there's a, um, I mean, I would love to be able to design or to fight a war to manufacture our way to a perfect world, right? To a world of perfect justice. I just don't think it's actually possible. Mm-hmm. No. And I think that Jesus here is saying, well, okay, if it's not possible, what's the other option? The other option is my way, right? The way that we've been describing for a while, where the first will be last, the last will be first. The way of humility, the way of self-sacrifice, the way of self-giving love, etc. As I said in my sermon um, on Sunday, neither guns nor guillotines, and guillotines there being an explicit reference to the French Revolution for anybody out there who's uh, <laughs> interested in Robespierre and that, that bunch, neither guns nor grace, but, excuse me, neither guns nor guillotines, but grace. I mean, that's what I really think is the Christian intervention here. Mm-hmm. A revolution of a kind, but not an obvious one. And not one right. like they wanted, and not one like the ones that they tried to fight and lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm remembering um, Annie Dillard said that you're, there's no age more more uh, holy or less holy than the one you're in. And there's no <laughs> yeah, age yeah. more difficult and challenging um, more or less than the one you're in. And, you know, I yeah. do think that this is the way of the world at all times. And now, of course, we know that our world's upside down and there's so many culture wars and there's pandemic and there's floods and fires and hurricanes and you know some of those we know need to be addressed in a certain way but you know we have chaos and i think uh people panic and get upset and it's easy to to really lose your moorings and become anxious and you know jesus was telling them you know of course the world's this way you know Mm -hmm. it's always going to be this way these things must take place it's this you know, kind of random violence of the world that where everyone's trying to like, you know, top the last form of violence and take control and, you know, institute some form of peace, you know, false peace. Um, and Jesus is yet again back to what it means to be a disciple. You know, mm-hmm. do not be anxious. Don't be led astray. Don't be alarmed. 
um, you know, the end is yet to come. I think that's his word of hope right there. The end is still to come and the end is not the end of all things. It's, you know, the end, the emergence finally of, of a kingdom of God, you know, that's meant to come and that will come quietly, as you said. And you have to have the eyes to see and the ears to perceive it, you know. And um, what we missed last week because of All Saints Sunday was yeah. the gospel mm, of right, yeah. the widow in mm. the temple. And I think that that was a setup for this passage, you know, that um, Jesus had been in the temple and turned over the tables. And um, I think it's N.T. Wright or one of those people that says that that was more of a prophecy than, mm. than a cleansing, that he was showing the overturning of this system that victimizes so many people. And then, you know, they sit down and then, or he has just had an exchange too uh, in that gospel we missed with, um, you know, it comes on the heels of that exchange with the scribe and how he gets the commandments, the best commandments right and everything. But then he sits right down and says, beware of the scribes mm-hmm. in their long robes and all the people, you know, saying long prayers for for appearance sake and, and then he sits down with his disciples and they watch this poor widow um, in line to give her money and all the rich put in large sums and, you know, probably with great sounds of clanking of all the coins and everything. And she just yeah. drops her coins in and he says she's given everything she had to live on, you know, maybe because of the system, you know, she mm. felt she had to. And this temple sucked that sucked her dry, you know. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that, you know, how wonderful was she to give all she had it was more how horrible is this that that she has to give everything she has right and um and then we get this larger sense of this whole Mm. whole thing will be torn down and the whole system is being upended and then you get to the end of mark none of them can see it or hear it Mm. until the temple curtain is torn in two you know jesus dies and then it's all exposed you know and um apocalypse means revelation so you yeah. know we're seeing it he's trying to reveal this whole thing for the the fallacy that it is not i mean no offense to the the jewish grand jewish tradition but i mean any religious system that yeah. you know that puts power in the place of um humility and service and grace and right i mean so i think that that's that's one of the amazing things about this gospel is it's saying so much in such a short way, short time. I think you're totally right. And I, I mean, I, I assume that there will be a, a great deal about the Episcopal Church that will need to be thrown down too, much as I love the Episcopal sure. Church. The Episcopal Church is a gem, right? But it's not as though we don't have our own history of um, making, uh, forcing people into positions like that of the widow as to give everything that she owns, et cetera. Um, you know, I thought one of the most beautiful things that you said, which I think is totally right, is that the passages of this kind that that you were saying this is uh not so much saying that the end is going to be violent there are going to be earthquakes and rumors of wars and that kind of thing is saying that in every age actually this is the truth and i think that's really the truth of all of the apocalypse uh all of the apocalyptic literature in scripture um this is an idea from the uh, my my favorite theologian uh hans Urs von balthazar the roman catholic uh, Balthazar says that apocalypses are revelations, as you said. They are unveilings. And what they're doing is they're not actually showing you what's going to happen. They're showing you the, they're pulling back the spiritual veil mm-hmm. of the present. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, um, uh, Hannah Arendt, uh, you know, coined that famous phrase, the banality of evil. She was, uh, you know, she was very affected by watching this, this war trial of a Nazi criminal who, you know, what she was struck by is how ordinary he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 
evil itself sometimes is obvious, like with the widow's mite. Sometimes it's not obvious because they, 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 I don't know that they saw exactly what was going on with the widow's mite, but often it's banal. It's every day. And Apocalypse mm-hmm. tears back the veil and shows you there's actually a war of a kind between good and evil in all of this stuff. It's like it, uh, it, 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 it shows us the real spiritual struggle that's behind the world as it is. The, my prayer for which is that God would work out in tranquility God's plan of salvation, as one of the colleagues says. Um, but it is, you know, the, these are not necessarily... See, I grew up thinking that I needed to be terrified of when the world was going to end. And I don't think that's what these passages are about. I think right. they're about the depth of what's actually going on right now in a way that somehow Christ is a solution to. Mm-hmm. Um, more to say about that another time. Well, you guys have each uh, uh, laid on a homily of sorts uh, on the passage here, which is really helpful for me. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to say uh, Sunday? And, you know, and, and the, the whole question here. So uh, I used to really, really dislike, uh, you know, the whole uh, apocalyptic uh, discourse of Jesus. And I, I think the apocalyptic discourse of Jesus has done more to drive people away from Christianity than to draw people to Christianity. I think it's done more to distort Christianity than pretty much anything. I think this whole discourse, you could yank right out of, of Mark's gospel on one hand, and it goes... I mean, it almost, you know, continues right on. It looks like he had a, you know, some say like a pamphlet that got dropped in here. Mark dropped it in. And this was to be good news uh, for the people hearing this. You referred to Mark's community. Uh, for me, I think part of this was uh, to, to unwind it and bring it back to Jesus, back to Jesus, back to Jesus. And to say, okay, so we're on the Mount of Olives, which is across the way. And you have an incredible view of Jerusalem. I mean, now, uh, Domius Flavit, uh, Jesus wept, is the church there that when Jesus was mourning over, uh, over the Temple Mount or uh, Harisha, uh, the, the Muslims have a different word for that, but the, the Temple Mount. And he's got Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. I love it that Andrew finally made the cut, right? He's always right. taken the cut. He finally got, I mean, Andrew, you know, yeah. was the first one there on some accounts. And, yeah. uh, and, and just like where Jesus makes pronouncements and then he just, you know, tells his people privately what's going on and that these signs... Um, all happened in Jesus's day. There are mm-hmm. right in the first generation after Jesus's day, there were people. I mean, it, it's in the Acts of the Apostles. It's in Josephus. There were people. Uh, there was some guy from Galilee saying he was, I am he kind of thing. Right. There were wars, rumors of wars. You just talked about that. There were earthquakes and there were famines. I mm-hmm. mean, we're, they're raising money for people who are suffering famines. All this took place in Jesus's day. And then in 70 AD, which we didn't even get to if you didn't mm-hmm. quite catch this, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, uh, as Justin was laying out some timeline earlier. And then I do think that the, he, as you said, he moves forward into talking about the destruction of the temple and maybe the question of his second coming. And, uh, and then his prediction that he's coming back within one generation, which, you know, that didn't work out, right? right? And I heard one commentator say, you can see the, the New Testament scriptures falling back and punting, right? Mm-hmm. It's fourth down, mm-hmm. Jesus didn't arrive yet, and they punt, right? <laughs> and they, they, that was a fantastic metaphor, at least for me, uh, you know, as they try to reinterpret all this stuff. And if, the, if apocalyptic literature talks about the future end time and then to interpret the present, and so, mm-hmm. you know, this is all about interpretation of Jesus' present. Is, what's he saying about the future? You know, um, I think a lot of Christians 
have wasted a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of their lives taking some of these passages literally and not understanding mm. the context right. and the type of literature we're talking about and uh, have given their lives to actually terrible biblical interpretation, mm -hmm. a complete misunderstanding of what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And so I think that scripture like this is really the Pepto-Bismol scripture uh, in many ways <laughs> for, for people who could really, really miss the point. Mm -hmm. I'm in total agreement that in the end, it's all about Jesus. Mm -hmm. He is the firm foundation. Mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's true. Mm -hmm. I, I just have one yeah. word sure. about the second coming. Is I, I, I don't think Jesus was wrong about coming back within a generation. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he did come back the way he said he would. And, you know, he, the Holy Spirit was given to all his followers, and there he was. Among them, you know, he said, I'll be with you always to, always to the end of the age. And, um, you know, that's the whole thing is don't expect, you know, the swooping in. Don't expect the sort of coming that's going to destroy everything in its wake and make a loud noise, you know. And even to Elijah, God says, I'm not in the whirlwind. You know, I'm not in the storm and the violence. I'm in this the small voice and the stillness. And... You know, if you can see it and hear it, you will you will find it. Mm. So we are going to pick that up. Advent one. On Advent oh. one. I'm so excited. Father Justin was born for Advent one. So when Jesus is going to come back with clouds of great glory. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Luke version that is uh, of that, which is what we're going to pick up on Advent yep. one. Which we're is finally just, done with Mark. Just what you're you're talking about. Right. Uh, First Christ the King. Uh, That's this, right. This coming Sunday or the Sunday after this coming Sunday, we've got one more to go. So I'm going to finish with this. Yeah. This is the collect for this coming Sunday. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We'd love it if you would like us and forward us and do all the things that you should do on media to spread the word. If you do that, we would be grateful. If you respond to us in this way or this way, we're also grateful. Peace be with you. God bless you. Good luck with your internal digestion.